Turning again to Psalm 22, we want to kind of pick up this morning where we left off as we were speaking of the context, really, of verse 9 and all the things that really kind of go into verse 9 before we get to it, that what we were dealing with, of course, was divine providence. Uh, So let me read the text and then we will begin again. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. As I mentioned, we were discussing divine providence and what providence is, in a nutshell, is God's watchful care over his creation that he's created. He does so in a good, gracious, and holy way. And especially is this pointed towards his people, But as I made note this morning, that divine providence also encompasses the Lord Jesus and his life as we see it here in this psalm. As we spoke, not only is the death of Jesus Christ mentioned here, but we see something of his life as well. And all of that was in the plan and the purpose and in the providence of God. So what I want to do this morning from verse 9, actually we're only going to look at verse 9a as it's called, but thou art he that took me out of the womb. I want us to observe several things from then verse 9. First of all, let me remind you very, very quickly, I promise, and very briefly from whom these words are And to whom he's speaking. Who said this in verse 9? But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Now we know it's David is the one who penned it. But as we have taught and thought about all of this for weeks. It is really the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the Lord that is speaking at this point. In fact he has been speaking all through this psalm up to this point. Even verse 8 is the words of the Lord, that is, he spoke them, but he is repeating there what he heard from the crowds. But uh, he trusted in the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. He heard that, and he repeats that again back unto his father. So, even when he's being scorned at, he's speaking the things that they spoke. The second thing I want us to notice in this is to whom he is speaking these words. As we again have seen so often here, he's speaking to his God and to his Father. He is directing what he says there in verse 9 then to his heavenly Father. Now we're quite sure these two things, that is who is speaking here and to whom he is speaking, Because the New Testament tells us so. And as I said, this was brief, and so I won't labor this point anymore. The second major head is the occasion of this passage. And again, I will be brief on this first part, and then I will expand it a little bit further in the second part of this heading. As we think of here the relationship of verses 8 and 9 together. Notice again, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. 
but thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. Now the occasion of these two verses, as well as the rest of this psalm, is the Lord Jesus, as he is upon the cross, of course, suffering. And he's suffering here the torments and the sorrows of his crucifixion. As he is paying that awful price, that penalty for our sins. And this you know, so as I said, I won't labor this as well. But I do want to point out under this head that this is what he says in verse 9, what he does say there in verse 9, comes on the heels of what he says in verse 8. Now remember, verse 8 is him repeating what the scorners are saying to him as he's upon the cross. They're down there in the crowd, and they're saying, I trusted on the Lord, He'll deliver him. You know, being sarcastic and all that. And He'll deliver him because after all, He's taken great delight in His Son. Of course, they didn't believe that. But they were saying that as it were, casting it back into His own face. So verse 8 there contains the words of the scorners. So as he is suffering, rather than those folks showing him pity and compassion, they ridicule him. They make fun of him. As we saw not only in verse 8, but also in verse 7 as well. And he knows this. Our Lord, as he hangs there, he knows this. And he hears this. He's hearing those terrible things that they're saying out there in the crowd. And then he says what he says in verse 9. He hears that, and then he says to his father, But thou art he that took me out of my mother's womb. You see, first... He's telling his God, this is what they're saying. And then he contrasts that with what he says now in verse 9. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. This is why I went over all that I did in the first hour as we talked about teaching or the doctrine of divine providence or what we call God's care over his people. As our Lord Jesus hears the jeers of his of the people out there, he knows this is going on, yet his mind here at this point is directed at an aspect of God's providential care over him. Now again, think of this. He's hanging there in great agony and they're making fun of him. And he's crying out to his father. And at this point, as he hears those nasty words, he reflects on the fact that God has been with him. And he says, but thou art he that took me out of my mother's womb. The words of verse 8, by some of those, obviously, have said, you know, look, God's really disowned you. 
But our Lord returns though, but you've been with me since the womb. He's showing his father that what they're saying is not true. They're saying, look, his trust is in vain. And Jesus says, oh no, he's taken me from the womb of my mother. So it's not true. So this is part of his argument. And he's reflecting upon the divine providence of God at his birth. That he wasn't snuffed out. Or that he wasn't killed. Or even like later on when they had to flee to Egypt because Herod was killing the children. God's providence was watching over him. His care was there. And he reminds his father of that. He reminds his God that, look, you're the one who gave me life and breath. From the moment of my conception in my mother's womb, you have cared for me. Nothing's been amiss. Of your mere pleasure, I was conceived in the womb and I I grew in my mother's womb and you brought me forth. So the care of God at this point to our Lord Jesus is very evident in our Lord's mind. This is what he's thinking. As he's suffering the great agonies and sorrows and the jeers of the crowd, his mind goes back to the fact that God had been with him from the beginning. And our Lord takes comfort in this. Because it it causes him to trust God even more or to encourage Him and to strengthen Him in His faith. You remember, as we began the sermon this morning, we talked about how that the God's people, as they reflect upon past mercies, that it strengthens us. We saw this morning in the psalm reading, and as we sang it, that was exactly what Asaph was saying this morning. He was downcast. He felt bad. He thought all was amiss. Where's God's mercies? Is it clean gone forever? Has God forgotten? And then he begins to recall God and what he's done and his power and his majesty and what he can do. And it encourages him. By the end of the psalm, Asaph is back on level ground again. Well, this is what our Lord is doing here. As the temptation is bearing down upon him, he reflects upon God's goodness to him. He reflects upon the mercies and the the provisions of the past upon Himself. Now, our Lord Jesus at this point of His life is about 33 years old. And He knows that all of those 33 years, God has tended Him, even from birth. And here our Lord Jesus uses this fact That God should use this. He should think of this and help Him. This is His protest to God. This is His complaint. This is His help. This is His argument. They say this, but look, you have been with me since the womb. The third thing I want us to notice from this then is I want us to see the relationship of this 
these words themselves, which are uttered by our Lord. I want us to examine these things. Now, we're going to go fully on next week, Lord willing, and the remainder of this passage, verse 9, and also in verse 10, because those are pretty much related, but I won't get that far today. We're just going to look at that first part there, where he says, But thou art he that took me out of the womb. So for that phrase, I want us to notice, first of all, these words show us God's attendance of our Lord Jesus in his birth. Because that's what he's talking about here. The birth of himself. He says, but thou art he that took me out of the womb. He means there, you caused me to be birthed. You know, in many ways, the birth of Jesus Christ was and is as other children who are born. Just like you were born, the Lord Jesus was born. Just as you came out of the womb, He came out of the womb. We recently had a baby here born, and it was the same way like most babies are born. So was the Lord Jesus, born in such a way. Now, of course, I'm speaking here of a normal birth. I realize there are exceptions to this. I realize there are births that don't follow what we call the regular or the normal paths of giving birth. There are a lot of things that can go wrong, obviously. Infants, we know, are, uh, die in the womb. Uh, we call those miscarriages, or they're called that way. Sometimes there are early births. Sometimes there's deformities and bodily and mental uh, problems. Numbers, chapter 12, verse 12 says, Let her not be as one dead, of whom the flesh is half consumed when he cometh out of his mother's womb. Problems in birth is not a modern thing. The scriptures speak of it. There is death of the child at birth. Job 3, verse 16. He says, Or as an un hidden, untimely birth, I had not been. As infants that never saw light. Now, it could be referring to a miscarriage in the womb, but could have referring to at birth. Ecclesiastes 6, 3 says, If a man begat an hundred children, and live many years, so that the days of his years be many, and his soul be not filled with good, and also that he have no burial, I say, that an untimely birth is better than he. There's even death of the mother at such times. You remember, Rachel died. Uh, Jacob's wife died in giving birth to uh, Benjamin, I believe it was, yes. So these things happen. They take place. And also we know there are a, a Caesarean births where they have to cut the mother. And then of course today we know abortions take place. But these are the rare, except for abortion perhaps, that, that is pretty common today, but the rest of these things are really rare if you think about it. all the babies that are born in the world. Most are normal. 
Most of the birth process is normal. No troubles. It just happens. And, but you know what? It's God who attends all of that. It's God who causes them to birth, whether it be the good or the bad of it. It's amazing, isn't it? That all that takes place. And as I said, there are ways in which the birth of Jesus Christ was just like ours. And that's an important point because he was man. He was truly man, as we've talked about, as we've seen in Hebrews, as we've seen here. Our Lord Jesus was a man. He was a baby at one time. We just passed that season where everybody thinks about that sort of thing. But whatever all of that may be about in someone's mind, it does reflect or it does, there is the truth that Jesus Christ was born. That He came into this world. So let's think of some things in which they're alike. Our birth and His. First, He was conceived. Just like we're conceived. Except, of course, there was a big difference. And I'll get to that here in a moment. But, in conception, you know, it's God who does that. The, the means, obviously, are the husband and the wife, man and the woman. But it's God then but who causes conception to take place. Genesis chapter 30 and verse 2. And God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her and opened her womb. Which means He caused them to, to, to have a baby, to be a baby in there. Genesis 30, verse 22. Oh, I just read that, excuse me. Or Job 31, 15. Did not he that made me in the womb make him? And did not one fashion us in the womb? So you see, there has to be that conception that takes place. The Lord Jesus as well. This is why we believe that children are from the Lord. Because they are. A baby matures in the womb. Our Lord Jesus matured in the womb as well. In Job 31 verse 15, he says, did, I read that a while ago, but did not he that made me in the womb make him? And did not one fashion us in the womb? David talks about in Psalm 139 how that God saw all of his members within his mother's womb. David forming there. The parts of it. God knew all that. Why? Well, because it was happening. And the same could be said of the Lord Jesus as well. As He was conceived, that in that conception, He started to grow, just like we do in the womb. Cells begin to divide, and next thing you know, they're all grouped together. This comes there, this goes there. It happened to the Lord. <laughs> As we know, there is a usual time of about nine months uh, before a baby is born. We see something of that hinted in Luke 1, verse 57, regarding John the Baptist's mother. Now Elizabeth's full time 
came that she should be delivered and she was brought forth a son. We assume the same with our Lord Jesus. There's no indication whatsoever that there was a premature birth going on there. He was birthed as others are birthed in the sense that he came out of the womb. Uh, I think the scripture in the authorized version talks about uh, from the knees. Just simply meaning that came out from that direction, I guess. But the idea there is that you pass through the birthing canal and you come out. A little biology lesson here this morning. But that's how it happens. Unless it's a Syrian session. Not only that, as our Lord Jesus was an Israelite, now here it may be a little bit different from other people, but as an Israelite, still a common man though, he would have followed or would have been followed upon him the norm for a boy child that was to be born under the Old Covenant. He was taken to the temple. There would have been an offering that would have been made for his mother. In fact, that did take place. And we know that he was presented there in the temple to the Lord and also that he was circumcised. We read all of this in Luke chapter Two, uh, beginning there in verse 22. He says, And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And as is written in the law of the Lord, Every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons, and so forth. And we know also that he was circumcised. And there's one other thing I'll mention here, but I'll, I mean, I'm going to talk about but I'll say that in just a moment. There are, there are some differences here. One of the differences, of course, is a very major one. And that is, when our Lord Jesus was conceived, he wasn't conceived by a man he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Not only that, the Bible teaches as well, he was not conceived in sin as we are. Everyone who is conceived in the womb, or out of the womb for that matter, is conceived in sin. We call that original sin. David says in Psalm 51, uh, In sin did my mother conceive me. He wasn't talking about his mother being a lewd woman. He was talking about that sinful nature that men inherit. Everyone except the Lord Jesus. Now, why all are conceived in one sense by God, as we say that God had one who opens the womb, yet Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit in a miraculous way. And I use that word biblically. A lot of people use the word miracle just simply because things went the way that they hoped it went. And so, oh, wow, this is a miracle. That's not a biblical miracle at all. That's not what it means in the Bible for a miracle. It's not getting your way. Something totally different. But this was. For Jesus had no earthly father. Luke 1, again, in dealing with that issue... We learn here the angel comes to Mary and explains this to her. He doesn't explain it fully or 
for that matter, answer every question there could be upon it. Because after all, as 1 Timothy 3 verse 16 says, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. But we read here in Isaiah or Luke chapter 1 verse 26, and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Meaning she's never had sexual relations. That's what that means there. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. That's different from any other conception. That will never, ever happen again. And it never happened before that. It only happened once. And it was to the Lord Jesus Christ. Another thing as we read there, that his mother was a virgin. She knew no man. And that too was prophesied of Scripture. Isaiah 7, verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And that's fulfilled, not only what we said there, but from Matthew. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Now these are great and important and necessary differences. Now the last thing on this is the fact that our Lord was in His birth there was definitely a special providence of God upon Him. He says here again, But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Now again, as I said, this is true of all births, no doubt. Every woman who has a child, there is an attendance of God, or, or the child couldn't be born. It wouldn't pass through the birth canal. It would die in the womb, whatever the case may be. It just wouldn't happen. God is the one who does that. But there is a special sense in which Jesus Christ was marked out it was God himself who took him out of the womb. And as one old Puritan said, God was the midwife of our Lord Jesus at this point. 
David says something similar to this. By thee have I been holding up from the womb. Thou art he that took me out of my mother's bowels. My praise shall be continually of thee. Job 2, wherefore then hast thou brought me forth out of the womb? Why did you cause me to be born? Why did you do it? Because of all the suffering, of course, that he was going through. You see, this is what our Lord Jesus reflected upon as he's hanging on the cross and he's hearing the derision from the people. He thinks of his birth. And how that God had been with him with that. That God himself took him out of the womb. Became his midwife. What can we say about that in closing this morning? What are all of that we've talked about today, both hours. What does this mean to us today? I mean, will this make us go home be better? Christians, and that's where they, yeah, I think it will. I think it does. There's truths in this that are helpful to the believer. First of all, you've learned some theology today, didn't you? Now, some of you probably already knew much of what I said, but there might have been a few here, like this was the first time I ever heard this. That was wonderful about how God controls all things, even from the birth, and that I've been with Him from all eternity in His mind. An imminent act, as the big boys call that. But yes, it's all true. That's theology. That's doctrine of the Bible. So today you learned some things. You learned about providence. You learned something of the virgin birth of Christ. You learned about the sanctity of the womb. I hope. And also you learn that God is the creator of all life. That's doctrine. And it didn't hurt any of you, did it? Not one of you this morning are bleeding because you had to sit and listen to a doctrinal sermon. Because that's what you hear when you preach the word. Preach the word, be in season, out of season, rebuke, exhort, with all long suffering and doctrine. It just simply means teaching. I've taught you today. But it was all necessary. Not necessarily because of my text, but those things which we talked about are necessary matters. Or we could not be saved. If Jesus wasn't the virgin, born of a virgin, he's not a savior. If his mother was not a virgin, we're not a savior. There's no savior. If God had no, did not attend to the Lord Jesus at His birth, we have no Savior. You see, it's important that we think on this thing. Secondly, uh, someone has noted this was not only our Lord's argument to His Father in prayer. You know, this is what they're saying, but really, I trust you. You've been with me for the. But it is an insight into the Lord's mind during his sufferings. How he reflected upon God and that he cared for him. This is what he was thinking of. So perhaps in the midst of our trials, brethren, there's some things we should think about. How that God has been with us all through. How that God gave us life and breath. 
how that God birthed us in the midst of trials. Think of those things. It's not the only thing to think. You're not just shut up to that one particular thought, but it is one of many that you might have and can have to be encouraged in the midst of trials. Well, not only that, it's also a matter of praise to think about how kind and how merciful God is to us from my very birth, even though we're born in sin. God has been very kind. And it's a reason of praise. Remember what I quoted a while ago, Psalm 71, verse 6. Listen again very carefully. By thee have I been holden up from the womb. Thou art he that took me out of my mother's womb, my mother's bowels. My praise shall be continually of thee. You see, it was fodder. It was, it was reason for David to praise God. So we sing praises or we give thanks to God. One of the things that can stir us up to do so is this. He's been with us since the womb. As well, we think of Christ as God was with him. Something interesting, another guy wrote, uh, I couldn't even tell you what his name, I read so many commentaries on these things, but he mentions how, you know who was in the, who was in the crowd? When our Lord suffered and he uttered those words, you know who was out there? Mary, his mother. They had to stir him up, perhaps, to say that. As he viewed his mother out there. And that she was the one who had carried him for those nine months. It was her birth canal that Jesus went through as God delivered him into this world. Can't say for certain, but we do know she was out there. For a very practical lesson this morning, these words here in the context of it being said after what is spoken there in verse 8, as he hears the reviling of the people, Jesus Christ is an example to us. If you want to, you can turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2. As I read this, Peter has been talking about how to live the Christian life in certain areas, you know, how you react to this, how you react to that. And he talks about how that sometimes we will suffer wrongly for doing right, basically is what he's saying. And he says that's what the Lord did. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience sake, or for conscience, toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults... Ye shall take it, it you shall take it patiently. But if when you do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, 
this is acceptable with God. Now you see the picture here. If you do something that you deserve to be punished and you take it well, well, that's just how it ought to be. <laughs> After all, you did wrong. So take it. Take what you need. You should take that. If you get a whipping for young people because you sassed mama, then, and you, uh, you get your whipping and you went through it okay, you didn't leave home, get mad, all that sort of thing, you, fine. It's just what you deserved. But he says, but if you suffer wrongly and you take it well, that's a different matter. He says, that is acceptable to God. God accepts that. He didn't accept your complaining when you got done, done wrong. And he didn't accept your complaining when you were done wrong when you were doing right. That's practical, isn't it? For even here unto were ye called, that is to suffer sometimes, because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Here's what he did. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. So here he is on the cross, not for his own sins, but for the sins of us. And the pain of that, and then they make fun of him, and they rile him up. They tell him all these bad things. And he doesn't return in kind, does he? He doesn't say, I'll get you. What does he do? He, he tells God that you've been with me from the womb. You see, that's an example to us. That when we are mistreated and people say bad things to us, it's not the only way to react, but this is a way. And Christ is the example of this. We should follow. And then lastly, we noticed here, it says here that he suffered for us, Peter said, that is for our sins. Whom do we believe upon for the forgiveness of sins? What must I do to be saved? The Philippian jailer cried out, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Forgiveness is never found in anything we do. It's only found in the blood and the sufferings and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And Christian, when we sin, there's no forgiveness except in the blood and in the sufferings and in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's the same.